Grab a seat, everybody. Most of the introverts have sat down, so it's time for us to, to begin. It's good to see all of you. It's good to see some, some faces we haven't seen in a while. It's nice uh, to be together uh, this morning. <clears throat> I want to invite you to turn to uh, 1 Peter 5. If you're not there already, we want to look at this text. 1 Peter chapter 5. Page 1016 in my Bible. Uh, Chris, you're finishing up the whole book next week, aren't you? All right, so we are almost finished with uh, our, our study in First Peter, and uh, then we'll start uh, kind of a summer series uh, in the book of Psalms. And uh, then at the end of the summer, we'll start at least a mini-series in Genesis. So that's uh, kind of where we're, uh, where we're going uh, as we look at the next few months. Well, 1 Peter 5, uh, thanks for reading it, Adam. Let's pray and uh, just ask for God's help. As we consider these words, Father, we thank you for your goodness. And even as we sing about the hope that we have in Jesus, our only hope, Father, uh, we are thankful that you have not abandoned us, that you have not left us. And Father, even that you have, uh, as you've saved us, you've not left us to fend for ourselves. But Father, in your grace, you have placed us in a community of brothers and sisters. And so we are thankful here today for these brothers and sisters visibly that we can see and that we can touch and that we can talk to. But Father, we're thankful also for brothers and sisters outside of this community. Other believers in Galway, other believers in Ireland, other believers, Father, throughout history all of whom you use to help us navigate this world of difficulty, to encourage our hearts to persevere in faith as we await the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And even now, Father, as we look at this word about leaders and elders that you have given, and Father, about the way that we operate as a church, and as churches, we pray that you would help us. <clears throat> we pray that you would encourage us. We pray, Father, that you would challenge us. And Father, we pray that if there are any today that have not placed their trust in Jesus, that you would, through your Spirit, open their hearts that they might see the gift of life that you offer in Christ. And that they might place their trust in him. Would you take a few moments just quietly, don't say anything out loud, but just uh, ask God to speak to your heart this morning. He knows where you are and what you need, so ask Him to speak to you this morning. And then would you take a few moments, again, quietly, uh, and just pray for me. Pray that God would speak through me what He wants to say. <clears throat> I 
Well, Father, we celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your goodness and your, your kindness uh, in Christ. And we celebrate that. We think about it and we thank you for it. We pray that you would help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, in July, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in July of 2018, thousands of volunteers from all over the world descended on a remote area in the northern part of Thailand because 12 boys and their coach became trapped uh, by rising water in a cave. And uh, they were, it ended up that they were trapped about four kilometers into this cave. And the monsoons came early and the waters rose and they were stuck. And no one could get to them. In fact, it took expert cave divers 10 days to even find them. They were so far back in the cave. The, the, the only way to get, to, to, to get them out uh, was for these expert cave divers to travel the distance to where the boys were and then anesthetize them, to sedate them, uh, and, and then to, to strap an oxygen tank to them, to push their faces underwater and dive them out. Imagine, <laughs> imagine being unconscious, having a mask fit to your face, hands tied behind your back, because if they woke up, they would have struggled and drowned the diver as well, and being pushed under the water for about a 30-minute swim in water which was so murky and dark, you wouldn't have been able to see where you were going, even if you could see. Imagine. No one thought that they would make it out alive. In fact, they thought that if they could get just one of the 13 people out alive, that that would be a win, that that would be good. And yet they, they got them all out. They all made it out alive. It's an amazing story. There's a documentary out there about it uh, on the interwebs. It's, it's just a fascinating story. But, but what, if, what if the coach that was trapped with those boys, what if he had just said, every man for himself, you guys, good luck. You know, I wish you the best. Hope you get out. You know, what, what if he had just said that? You know, every man for himself, you guys do your best, you know. no. No one would have made it out alive, would they? See, they needed help to get out of the water. They needed help to get out of the cave. Now, think about, as we've been studying 1 Peter, think about how Peter has called you, as a Jesus follower, to suffer well as an exile in a hostile land. I mean, our world today... The, the, the difficulties that we face in a lot of ways are even more hostile than just a flooded cave. I mean, we face into hostility, we face into difficulty, and we're called to navigate through it as we look towards the life to come that we've been promised. Remember, this is what Peter's called us to. This is what God has called us to. And maybe you stare into that difficulty and you think, you know what, there's no way we're going to make it out of here. 
that there's no way we're going to make it out alive. How are you going to do that on your own, by yourself? Well, in God, uh, or, or God in His grace has provided us with a way through the murky waters of this life for just this reason, that we need help. We need help. Now, you might think, I don't need any help. I can do this. I got this. I can do it on my own. Well, listen, I'm sorry, but God disagrees. God knows that we need help through these murky waters. And here in 1 Peter, we're going to see that good leaders within churches are presented to us as a gift of God's grace given for our good to help us navigate these murky waters. Again, God has called us through Peter to suffer well as we entrust ourselves to him. That was the the previous verse, 419. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And that's not easy, is it? we, We know that that's not easy. It's not something that we do on our own. And so God has given us people to oversee that, to help us in that process. And just as a shepherd protects his sheep while he leads them along, God has given elders to oversee and protect us in this task to which he has called us. We are sheep, all of us, we are sheep. And sheep easily go astray. They easily wander off, right? You've driven out in Connemara. You see those sheep, you almost hit them with your car that, that, that wander out into the road. This is what sheep do. They wander. And so God has given us guides to help lead us through. And so here Peter is going to give responsibilities to both shepherds and to sheep. To both those in authority and to those under authority. And so we want to think about today how we relate to one another, either as an authority or one under authority within the church for our good. For our good. Well, Peter begins in chapter 5 with those in authority. And he says that those in authority are responsible to care for and to steward God's sheep as a shepherd. The command to those in authority given by Peter, it sits on the surface of this text. Uh, Look at verses 1 and 2. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Here it is. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Let's stop there. And throughout this text and throughout the, the New Testament, <clears throat> we see these words, shepherd and elder and overseer. And we see those words used throughout the New Testament interchangeably, referring to this one particular office of elder or leader in the church. And so in, in 1 Peter 2, 
uh, and, and 1 and 2, we see them all three used in the same setting. Uh, he exhorts the elders to shepherd, giving oversight. So we see all three of those words used for the same particular uh, obligation and office, right? This is uh, not unlike the way the Apostle Paul talks about elders in Acts chapter 20, where he calls the Ephesian elders together and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so Peter says in verses 1 and 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And this idea of shepherding is an image throughout the scriptures. Uh, This is the, the image for those who lead God's people in the church, that of shepherd. So in Isaiah 40, verse 11, God is presented as a shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 10 refers to himself as the good shepherd. He appoints Peter in John 21 as a shepherd to feed his flock. And then Peter and Paul commission elders to serve as shepherds. And so Peter here even identifies himself with these who are called elders. He identifies himself with them uh, in 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 an act of solidarity, saying, hey, I know what it's like to be appointed as a shepherd. He says, I'm with you. But shepherding sheep is a challenging thing. Now, the way this is written in verses 1 and 2, the way this is written, it's a commitment to serve that requires uh, a daily, ongoing, even moment-by-moment renewal by an elder. The call to shepherd is serious. And the reason it is serious is because these sheep don't belong to the shepherd. They belong to God. The reason this call is so serious is because these are God's sheep. And Peter says that. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And listen, just incidentally, uh, that statement alone assigns every cult leader and abuser to the rubbish pile. Uh, Every person who, who stands in as a leader in a church for what he can get out of it or she can get out of it is a fraud because the sheep don't belong to the shepherd. They belong to God. And so Peter says, shepherd God's sheep. And that is a serious deal. That is a serious deal. There are no timeouts in shepherding. There are no timeouts for those that would be elders or leaders in the church. Elders carry with them the the souls of their people, of the people in their care. Uh, They carry their burdens. They carry their difficulties. They carry their struggles with them every day and every moment. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. Verses 23 to 28, you see this, this list of the different things that the Apostle Paul suffers 
because of his commitment as an apostle of Christ. He says, I suffer with far greater labors, more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Uh, Five times I received 40 lashes, minus one. I've been beaten with rods and stoned and shipwrecked and set adrift at sea. I've been in danger from rivers and robbers and my own people, from Gentiles, danger in the city, in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he says this at the end of all that, he says this, And apart from that, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Imagine that. All those things. Beatings, imprisonments. Oh yeah, and by the way, I'm carrying the weight of anxiety of all these churches that I'm ministering to. These are... Uh, There are struggles within and without. And shepherds put themselves in harm's way for the sake of God's sheep. Think about places in the world where Christians uh, are persecuted. Uh, Who is it that you read about being imprisoned or tortured for Christ? Oftentimes it's the pastor. Oftentimes it's the leader who puts himself in harm's way. As he seeks to minister to the people. And look, sheep bite too, right? Sheep have teeth, they bite too. See, this is no easy calling. But it's a high calling to shepherd God's sheep. Thankfully though, Peter highlights it's not without reward. Though that reward may not be what we think. In verse 4 Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The reward of the, the, the shepherd, uh, the reward of the shepherd is not fully realized in this life. The way of the shepherd, uh, as with Jesus, the way of the shepherd is the way of the cross. And there is a reward here to focus our attention on. But it's an ultimate reward realized at the end of all things. Not one realized in this life. In verse 1, Peter's looking forward to it as well. He calls himself a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He is looking forward to it. And in the same way, those who are elders look forward to the unfading crown of glory. That is to come. This is what motivates a shepherd. This is what motivates an elder. We see here the challenge and the reward of serving as an elder. But Peter spends the bulk of his time thinking about the how. How is it that elders serve God's sheep? Well, Peter tells us how they are to lead God's people by way of three contrasts. Look in verses 2 and 3. In the first, shepherds serve not because it is their duty. Not because it is their duty. 
but because it is their delight to serve. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Shepherds serve not out of duty, but delight, not under compulsion, uh, is a, a call to serve willingly. And then he adds, according to God, or as God would have you do it. See, God isn't looking for an attitude of service like that of a child that's asked to carry out the rubbish, right? He's not looking for, for those to lead who are sulking or complaining about having to do so. Leaders are to serve as those that are fueled by the joy that comes from Christ, counting it as a privilege to shepherd God's people, a privilege to carry their burdens, to pray for their souls, to stand in the gap for them, passion and joy and love. Think about Jesus in Hebrews 12, verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith who endured the cross, the author of Hebrews says, sulkingly and complaining the whole way. No, no, that's not what he says. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, suffering its shame. Incidentally, one of the great prayers that you can pray for your leaders is that their cups would be full of the love of Christ that they might be able to serve out of a joy in doing so. Well, not too dissimilar is Peter's next description of how elders are to serve. In the last part of verse 2, he says that shepherds are not to serve for what they can get out of it, but eager to give of themselves. Look what he says. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, but eagerly. Now, Peter isn't suggesting that shepherds shouldn't have their needs met, as if every shepherd has to be a volunteer. There's solid evidence in the New Testament that there were elders in the early church who made their living as elders. Peter doesn't just say gain here, right? He says shameful gain or dishonest gain, or evil, greedy gain. And so Peter's arguing that leaders are not to be driven by a greedy agenda for money, or power, or reputation, or getting their way. And look, sadly, the road is littered with leaders who have succumbed to that temptation. When a, when a leader begins to think more about what he can get than what he can give— there is always collateral damage, isn't there? And look, the leader dies, but he never dies alone. He takes people with him, and that's a tragedy. But godly shepherds don't fixate on what's in it for them. And so in this way, they become a parable of Jesus for all to see what it looks like when someone in a position of authority of authority, doesn't use their authority for their own ends, but for the sake of others. They become the embodiment of Jesus, as portrayed in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, where Paul says, 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus didn't consider what his deity could get for him. But he leveraged his position as God for our sake. And that's what shepherds do. They don't serve for what's in it for them. They give eagerly. They give of themselves for the sake of God's sheep, just like Jesus. And finally, Peter exhorts shepherds to serve as examples. Again, to serve as these living parables of Jesus. Not as those who lead by dominating those in their care. Look at what he says. He says in verse 3, not domineering. Uh, it's, a, it's a word, an interesting word, katakurio. It's to lord it over. That's what it means to dominate those that are under their authority. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. To lead, but to lead as servants. See, the world says that authority means domination. The world says authority means to dominate. And many cultures, frankly, prize power and an exercise of that power by a strong man, right? Vladimir Putin right now is the, 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 the chief example of that in our world today. And it was the same in Jesus' day. In Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus calls his disciples around him and he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. They seek to dominate those under authority. But God's under shepherds don't do that. They don't dominate. They don't drive people from behind. Instead, like ancient shepherds, they lead the sheep by walking in front of them and calling them to follow their example. They, they lead them by example. In fact, in, in Hebrews 13, 7, we're instructed there to remember our leaders, those who spoke to you in the word of God, who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Leaders are to be ones that are worthy of being imitated as they follow after Jesus. Look, one of the heaviest weights that leaders can bear is the reality that a church will always end up looking like its shepherds. And it's, it's really interesting to note that the only place in the New Testament where this term archipoiamen, chief shepherd, the only place that this term is used is here. And it's a reference to Jesus. It's a reference to Jesus as the chief shepherd. Jesus is the senior pastor. Jesus is the chief shepherd. All of the elders that serve, serve under his authority. Elders are just under shepherds. That is, any authority that an elder has in a church, is a delegated authority, which comes from another and is only legitimate 
as they are following their chief, Jesus. Elders are called to lead like Jesus so the people under their care will look like Jesus as they follow their example. Again, back to Jesus' words in Mark 10. It's not, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's your model. That's your model. So those elders and authority in the church are responsible for caring for God's sheep as they follow after Jesus. But the ones who lead are not the only ones with responsibility here in the text. There's another command, and it's for everybody else. Those who follow are called to follow Jesus by following the leaders Jesus has given as those leaders follow Jesus. Let me say that again. Those who follow are called to follow Jesus by following the leaders Jesus has given as they, those leaders, follow Jesus. Look at verse 5. Likewise, You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. As we've been thinking about these structures of authority in the church, Peter continues with a command to those who are younger. And this word has been subject to a lot of discussion. There's two possible meanings that kind of rise to the surface. It could mean those who are physically younger, younger in age. That's what one of the possibilities it could mean. Now that's certainly possible, but, it, but even then it doesn't exclude the proposition that the command to submit would apply to everyone uh, in the church. It's possible that Peter thinks, okay, the younger ones are going to be the ones most likely to push back against the authority of, of those elders in the churches. And so by commanding the younger ones to submit to their elders, he's sweeping up everybody in that command. That's a possibility. But given the connection uh, between verse 5 to verses 1 to 4, that term likewise connects the thought. And since elder in verses 1 to 4 doesn't seem to refer to an age, but to a position, it seems like this term younger should apply to everyone who is under authority. So Peter seems to be issuing this command, I think, to submit to, uh, he seems to be issuing it to everyone else as those under authority. And we've seen the call to submit in various places within this letter, haven't we? It's not something new for us. Uh, Again, it's a call to willingly place ourselves under the authority of another. And just like in the other places we've seen it, it isn't an absolute command because as authority structures are instituted by God, their authority is delegated and therefore is ultimately subject to God's authority. So listen, we are never required to follow elders into sin. Just like we are never called to follow government into sin. 
We are called ultimately to follow God and to be obedient to Him. This call to submit to those in leadership uh, in the church is more than simply a call to obey. It involves a, a general disposition of the heart that sees the good in these structures that God has established. It's a disposition of the, 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 the heart that seeks to follow Jesus by following these commands that God has given. Following the structure that God has given. And it's in this way that, that what Peter says here, this call to submit, is not that different from what the author of Hebrews says. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, where he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Elders serve as those who stand guard for those that are entrusted to their care and protection. And so Peter is arguing, uh, the author of Hebrews is, is arguing that since this is for our good, we should support that work by willingly entrusting ourselves to that care under God. Now look, let's be honest. Just as shepherding is not without its difficulties, neither is submitting ourselves to authority in the church an easy thing, is it? I mean, we're inundated today with horrible stories of the way, air quotes, shepherds have abused their authority by abusing God's sheep. And look, you might have had the direct experience with bad leaders. So much so that the word, the very word authority might taste like a I don't know, a mustard and onion sandwich in your mouth. It just might, have, it might bring this horrible taste in your mouth. But listen, we can't confuse authority as God institutes it with authoritarianism. Those are two different things. Authoritarianism is the abuse of authority. And so we have to guard our hearts lest we become suspicious of all authority because of the abuse of some authority. Why? Because we plainly see authority structures in the text. And that means that in God's sovereign plan, these are given for our good lest we go astray in this difficult world. So what is it here that links these two commands? To shepherd and to submit. Is Peter suggesting that leaders are way over here leading and shepherding and followers are way over here following? Shepherd and sheep separated from one another by a rail or by a curtain? Is that what Peter's suggesting? You know, here's the great thing. The, the great thing here is that even as God gives us leaders to help guide us through this difficult world, those leaders are like us. They come from among us. Church leaders are not like the Avengers 
like Thor swooping in from some other planet to, to save everything and everyone else. Now look, I just want to say this as clearly as I can here. And I really, I don't want you to, to miss this, all right? I, I'm an elder. And just like every other elder in this church, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. As elders, there is a sense in which we are sheep as well. I am called to submit myself to the elders of this church. Why? Because I need it. I need it. And I'm called to be accountable to the covenant members. Look, I wouldn't want to be in a church that couldn't sack me if I did something silly or went off the rails. I haven't arrived. Because look, as hard as I try to follow Jesus, I am not always successful. And again, I want to say this really clearly. God is at work in me by the grace of the gospel in the same way that he is at work in you. And so, in short, listen, godly leaders must, must, must be humble leaders. They must desperately cling to the same gospel that they preach to others. That is what links shepherd and sheep. It's the gospel and the need for the gospel. We all wear the same uniform. We all need the gospel of God's grace. And so in that light, Peter calls all of us to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. None of us have arrived. We are all on our way together. And look, humility in the first century was a swear word. It was not a cultural value. And yet this is what should characterize our life together. So that whatever our role in the church might be, Our humility is made evident as we give ourselves to one another. And so in the context of leadership structures, elders humble themselves like Jesus in leveraging their authority for the sake of the sheep that they've been entrusted with. And those who follow in the church humble themselves by willingly following after those imperfect people that God has placed over them. I love the way Scott McKnight says this. He says, when everyone is concerned with serving others, the problems of leadership and authority are virtually eliminated. When both elders and laity are out to serve, the elders are no more authoritarian than the laity is rebellious. Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility. You have not arrived, whether you're a leader or whether you're a follower. You need the gospel, so deal with it. And get along with one another. And it's this kind of humility that God gets behind. He equips us to do this. We don't have to think about only ourselves because God gets behind and he empowers those who humble themselves to do this. Peter says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So leader... You can give yourself to the flock of God because God has your back. He's behind you when you do that. 
follower, church member. You can follow and you can entrust yourself to those God has put in front of you because God is behind you when you do that. And as we've repeatedly seen in 1 Peter, the world out there is hostile to people of faith. And as we, as we walk out there, we are surrounded by forces that want to pull us away from Jesus. And one of the graces, one of the graces that God has given to help us persevere are godly leaders who will care for and shepherd our souls as they follow Jesus. Good leaders are a gift given for our good. So look, elders, love and serve God's sheep that have been entrusted to your care. And understand that if you are not doing that, you are disobeying. And God is not behind that. God's not behind that. Church members, pray for and follow your leaders as they follow Jesus. And understand that if you're not, you are disobeying and God is not with you in that. Trying to, to go at it on your own apart from the structure of a local church is not only foolish, it's sinful. And in all of this, all of us, whether leader or follower, let us humble ourselves as we seek to follow Jesus together. Well, just as we close, let's revisit that cave in northern Thailand. As the stories came out after, it turns out there was one man in the cave with those boys who helped them to maintain hope that a rescuer would come. He didn't rescue them. He, he, he didn't rescue, he needed to rescue him himself. But what he did was he encouraged them, he treated their scrapes, he gave them his food until the rescuer came. And that was the boy's assistant coach. He needed rescuing. Listen, I want to be clear here, all right? Elders are not your rescuer. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the hero of our story. Elders are not your rescuers. Elders are in the cave with you. Godly elders, though, seek to hold it together and point their people to the hope that is to come, the certainty that the rescuer will arrive. And listen, you need a rescuer. You need a rescuer. If you're here today and you've not trusted in Jesus, understand that you are headed for death and destruction. But God, in His grace, has provided a way of escape. He's provided a rescuer for your soul. It's the Lord Jesus who paid the penalty that you owed for the sin that you had committed. And if you will turn to him in faith and receive the gift of life that he offers, you can be saved. Let's pray together.
before we sing. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for the, for the rescuer, the Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would help us to humble ourselves, whether leading or following. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be a people clothed with humility, as Peter commands. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And would, would you help us to keep our eyes looking forward as we await the rescuer's return? And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.